Welcome everyone to the Kingdom REI podcast. It's your host, Ellis Hammond, and this is the podcast show where I interview kingdom leaders, really passionate and ambitious for business and for the kingdom. And we have an incredible guest on here uh, with us today, Mr. Ryan Sisson. How are you, brother? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you don't know Ryan, he is uh, uh, definitely, if not already, a San Diego up and coming legend. Uh, you can't, <laughs> you can't go too many places in this city and not see something that uh, his hand, his brain, his mind, uh, his creativity hasn't touched. And whatever he touches, he turns, uh, he turns to something of beauty. Uh, he creates just a ton of awesome spaces uh, here in San Diego that people, thousands of people, I think, use daily, weekly. Uh, in terms of event places, coffee shops. Um, so personally, I have benefited uh, from man, his influence and his reputation here in San Diego. So it's an honor to have you on, brother. How are you, man? Doing, doing pretty good. Been an early morning with the kiddos at home, but uh, that's just as part of the season of life that we're in right now. Seven month, right? In a four-year-old? Yeah, seven month and a almost four year old. And for whatever reason, the four year old decided she wanted to be ready to for the day to start at four forty five. She's not. It's not like a dog. Like we're you know we're a month from having a kid, and a dog I can be like, hey, just be quiet, like keep sleeping. You yeah, can't really uh, do that with a with a four year old. That's my favorite part is when like young couples are like, oh man, we got a dog. And it's almost like a kid. It is not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, but yeah. So, Dude, no, well, I'm glad you made it here, man. I uh, we're I'm, I know I'm a couple cu cups of coffee in. So, Ryan, I wanna I, I'm I'm excited for the show. I've been looking forward to it a long time. I'm so grateful that we got to meet each other because uh, you know we've I've heard about moniker, but didn't always know who the um the brains the the man the the dream behind it was. And so I'm excited for this because you have such a a dream and a heart for community and real estate because you're an investor you're you're doing deals yet you also have this real eye and vision for creating spaces and community around real estate and you've turned it into a business model and so i'm really excited to just kind of get into that story um, because most of our audience a lot of our audience are real estate investors and so just even kind of thinking uh you know not just about how we acquire real estate but how do we use and adapt that for kingdom purposes like building community and creating beautiful spaces and so um, man, before we get into this and before we pray, can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and kind of um, where you are today and what moniker is, and then we can we can we can back up into the story a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, well, I'm a third generation San Diegan, so as you mentioned about San Diego, you know, I've uh, not only lived here my whole life, um, but family has just some pretty deep roots. Um, my uh, my wife grew up in Point Loma, so our little kids are fourth generation San Diegans, which is really cool and, and very unique. Which um, is like, for the way, by anyone's listening, like fourth generation San Diego, like that's it's like you're from Mars almost. Like that's so <laughs> rare because people, you know, there's such a trans transient city. And I think that's you know something I recognized pretty early on um, was watching kind of friends transition after college into other parts of the country to feel like they needed to go and be a part of whatever community existed over there, you know, whether it was like a Brooklyn or Nashville or Austin or somewhere I would call cooler or hipper or just more in tune with the creative and the dreamers and the artists and all those things. And, um, you know, my heart being for this city was 
beginning to take shape around this idea of like, why, I know why they're not staying, but why has no one created a place for them to feel like they could stay? Um, you know, San Diego is known for beaches and sunshine, which is not a bad thing to be known for. It's, it's a wonderful place to live. But I always saw it as a bit of like a blank canvas, like waiting to be uh, identified as something more than just that. You know, I think there's a lot happening here and there has been uh, a pretty deep community of, of dreamers and creatives that uh, have never really been recognized because people couldn't see past the weather. Um, and so um, it really started a lot in that, that trajectory as far as like how we got to where we're at. And I think then the other side of it was um, this expression of ministry that involved creating spaces for people to come together um, and not just on Sundays. So, uh, you know, my background, I grew up in church um, and in college, I was helped develop and lead the young adult ministry at one of the big churches here in San Diego. And in that we were given resources, opportunities to go and do things that I think most, uh, you know, young adult ministries would be able to do. And we took that and we created uh, art shows and fashion shows and weekly music. And, and we did it in the city. We didn't do it at the church. And uh, my one of our co-founders and one of my closest friends, he's a pastor in La Jolla, his name's Mingo. He was a pastor, a young adult pastor at the time. And, uh, you know, his thing was, you know, Jesus' ministry was so much done at temples and wells, right? And temples are a place that people go and they went for like formal teaching. It was a place that really was exclusive because it really was only about the people that wanted to be there. Yeah, it might, you know, you know, we could argue that everyone could go but the reality is like our churches and we've we not only have we perfected temples right we have the most state-of-the-art this and the science behind you know why people you know worship certain ways or whatever it's not a bad thing it's not a knock on it um but it's only part of the place where you can impact people and mm -hmm. so the other side is the wells and the wells were the place that everyone went to for their daily interaction their daily sustenance there that was where the political conversations took place. It's where the markets were. That's where the water was. That was where the life, normal life, regular life happened. And so our heart was always, how do we go to the wells and create a place for the church to exist that isn't building a temple on top of it, right? This wasn't about planting another church on top of the well. This was really just going and making the well better because that's what we're called to do. Just regardless of whether it added people to the to the temple or not, whether it raised money or not, didn't matter. It was how do we just make the well better? And so from a ministry standpoint, that was a lot of what we wanted to do. And we were trying to do things that everyone would want to go to, like the fashion and art shows and music and stuff was just to make it better and doing it in a way that was uh, community focused, people focused. And, you know, there was an impact element from a ministry standpoint that came out of that for sure. Lives were changed and stuff, but really we were just trying to make the city better. And so from that is where really the roots of what Mocker, um, like Genesis is. Wow. And I love that story, man. I love that yeah. lot. Temples and wells like that. That either needs to be a song or yeah. we need to create something from that right there, man. I, I really like that a lot. So temples and wells. Well, I didn't actually know all that story. Uh, I love that that vision of just making the well better. Uh, and you're totally right. Like I, I always say San Diego, even though it's an older city, it's still underdeveloped, underutilized, underappreciated, which is great because, you know, we actually appreciate the lack of traffic yeah. we have here in our city for a big city. 
But there's so much potential I think this city still has that you've brought to life in so many ways. Just quickly, in terms of where Moniker is today, in terms of spaces, people that it serves on a weekly or monthly basis, can you share about kind of where where it is yeah. today? Yeah, so we took that need for creating space and with ministry to, uh, well, one of the biggest challenges we always had was finding a physical venue to be able to do these things in. And that led into getting uh, our first actual home which was an old warehouse in, in East Village that we still lease today and have an event venue there and a couple different tenants and actually ministries and nonprofits that work out of there. But that was our first foray into like a physical environment that Moniker was creating. And we had all kinds of stuff through that, through that space over the years. We've, we've had that location for going on nine years now, but that just was really the beginning of uh, just creating more of, more intentional environments for people to come together, right? So our next step from there was creating Moniker General, which is our coffee shop, retail store, and cocktail bar and livery station. Well, and that spun off of the opportunity to do a co-working space across the street from Moniker General called Moniker Commons. So now we have a co-working space, which General opened five years ago, Commons opened four years ago. And then that led into a couple more event venues. So we have a wedding venue in livery station. We just opened one in downtown on a waterfront called Lane. Um, and then we moved our headquarters from our warehouse in downtown to Liberty Station as well. So in Liberty Station, we, we occupied four buildings. Um, I would say probably about 40 to 50,000 square feet. Um, and then we have a 8,000 square foot wedding venue called The Lane on downtown on Harbor Drive. And then our warehouse is about 16,000 square feet in East Village. So, um, you know, our footprint has grown tremendously over the years um, and we've just continued to create businesses that allow us to bring people together, set the table for community to take place and, and stand back and kind of watch what happens. Um, Love it. And then the last piece of that is we have an interior design and fabrication studio that does all of our work internally for us and as well as client, like hospitality design, uh, residential office. And that really was the beginning of the business. But um, so we can literally like create the spaces to the way that we want them and, and really the way that we so feel like cool. which is, yeah. it's really, that's a really special piece. Of this. I would, you know, encourage folks like just, just take a moment and go to, what's your website? Moniker. That was Moniker.com. Moniker what? Monikergroup.com. Monikergroup.com. Just go look at some of their spaces as we as you get into this episode because like you'll get an idea of what we mean by just creating something beautiful. Uh, you've, you've done your team does an amazing job. Okay. Ryan, I, I want to get in your store. I want to pray first and just ask God to bless this time. What a great intro for all of this, man. Um, but let me just pray as we always do, and then we can get into this time. God, I'm so grateful for Ryan and making this time and for his kiddos <laughs> for getting them up early and what a blessing. But yet. Uh, I'm sure that is hard. So thanks for uh, for that. But I pray that you give us both energy, clarity, and focus to really be able to serve everyone who's listening and serve you, God the King, uh, is why we do this. And, and um, may that be our main focus. And for those who are listening, may this inspire, encourage, even challenge, uplift, uh, to really create and dream about doing something big for the cities that they live in, for creating great wells for people to gather and uh, create ministry opportunities. So to you be the glory guy, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, Ryan, here's the question I want to ask you, kind of going back before Moniker. Like, what were the turning points in your life, or, and maybe it doesn't have to be that significant, but that that led you to be a dreamer, a creator? You know, like, what was that? What were some of the the 
you know, key, key points or maybe even relationships that kind of created who you are today? Yeah, I think, you know, growing up, I, uh, I was a Lego kid, like just obsessed with Legos. Man, I love to just break things down and build things back. And I would create houses and little towns and like just, I was always just kind of naturally creating spaces, even if it was, even if they were fictional spaces. But so I think, you know, from a standpoint of just kind of the core of who I was created to be, I think it really, that's as far back as I can remember. And then going through in high school, I was about, I was part of the, the ASB team that put on the dances and put on the assemblies and kind of like, I was continually kind of found my way in my story where wherever I was, that was about creating environments and experiences for other people. So high school moved into college and the college I got involved in young adult ministry and I was helping put on their, the weekly gatherings. And then that moved into doing these art shows and these fashion shows. And then that moved into the warehouse. So it was like seasonally, like no matter where I was, I was creating something, um, whether it be for, you know, fake plastic people or for like, you know, young adults in all of San Diego. So, um, you know, the, the, I don't know if there was ever like a turning point. There was never like an aha point. And that's really how God really is more, the way that he works in my life is, is really more of like a true development. I've never really had like any sort of like edge of cliff, like big revelation, like big turn type stuff. It's just been this like gradual process towards this ever developing kind of dream that's always sitting out in front of me. And that dream continues to take shape as I continue to do things which makes it a little bit frustrating because it's always like chasing a rainbow. It's just always like a little bit further ahead. <laughs> but the reality is like, he's just always kind of led me gradually into the things that we've done. And, you know, my involvement with the guys that helped found Moniker was really um, friendships that turned into opportunities to empower them to exist in the gifts and talents that they were created to be, right? I mean, I had I was surrounded by a creative community, yet I would not consider myself a creative at that time in a traditional sense, right? I did, didn't paint, I didn't build things, I didn't shoot photos, I didn't shoot video. And I, I found myself very envious of a lot of people that did, because I just felt they were so intentional, like behind their purpose, like they it felt like they had such a clear purpose. And so um, what I started to do is I started to just be the person that helped them be able to do that. Like I took my very clearly generalist role. Um, I'm not really great at anything. I just am kind of good at a bunch of things. It's kind of even like growing up as an athlete, like playing sports. Like I was never the first pick, but pick a sport and I was playing it. So it was like, okay, my, my role and opportunity isn't about what I produce. It's about what I cultivate, right? Like I cultivate a space for other people to be successful in their very specific talents. And that's really moniker as a whole. Like now we have eight companies, I have three different business partners. We have about 50 employees and I am not capable. Like, I don't know how to pull a shot at the coffee bar. I don't know how to build a couch or a table. I don't, there's a lot of things I don't know. But what I do know is I know how to make sure that the people that are really good at those things have what they need to be successful. So, um, yeah, so they're really, it's really just been this kind of like development and, you know, where we are now is, I think the cool part is, is that so much of our story, if not the entire story is built off of relationships and the opportunities that come through those relationships. And, um, 
I think that's just a way that God both, it's cool because he, he, he created me in a way that would recognize the value in that, but he also created me in a way that is um, like uh, opportunistic in a sense of like, I can do something like, and I create, and then I, I get value out of that. So I get both reward and opportunity out of watching things come through these relationships. And, uh, you know, there's not enough time on the podcast to tell you how it's all like played out with all the different spaces that we have and the businesses that we started, but it's really been that. And I, I recognize so much of how he's worked in it, um, through those things. Who, who was like, who was a big who for you early on? I mean, who was an example for you before you became who you are, you know, what moniker became what it is? Like, was there a specific who, who really had a huge influence on your life? Um, like from a, like a peer level, personal level, or like from just like a person. Um, yeah. It could be just a person of influence, but that really kind of maybe helped shape mold, even inspire some of the things you're creating today. Yeah. I think I could answer more on the peer level. So I was really connected to a community that ran an organization called invisible children. It was a nonprofit still is a nonprofit, but back in like kind of, you know, 15 years ago. 10, 15 years ago, they were doing some incredible advocacy work over in Uganda based using the power of film and storytelling. Right. And the founders, Jason and Bobby and Laren, and all the guys that they put together on that team were, were honestly super inspiring watching what they were doing. And it was, uh, it was really relationships that came out of that originally that, that was the like pre-genesis of what moniker is. And so I would say like early on, it was that, it was watching them create uh, something out of nothing and, and create this movement in a way that's never been done before um, and being able to be like front row seat and pseudo involved in, in some of it. And uh, that was really influential in my, in the very beginning, like pre like official startup moniker. And I think from a standpoint of, uh, you know, someone I've never met before, um, but actually it'd be, it'd be Richard Branson. So what he's created with Virgin Group was very empowering to me. Um, there's very, there's a lot of conglomerates and there's not a lot that have the same brand that they've taken and scaled out to all these different ventures. And, um, and he's really one that I, I've, I read, I think every book he has and read case studies on their company. And it was very empowering and like kind of permission giving to go, if he can do it, then why can't we do it? You know, yeah, like, and so- I love that. Yeah, I've never met him, but I, I feel like his the story, the work that he's done specifically from a business standpoint was has been very inspiring and very like, okay, let's go. Let's try this out. Doesn't he have a great book? He's got like eight books. About uh, that. Have you read any of them? Yeah, I've read most of them. What, what do you recommend? Like if I want to go study his company, his journey, like what, what would be inspiring or even kind so of? His two main books is the first one is called Losing My Virginity and the second one's called Finding My Virginity, which is... Um, you know, typical Richard Branson book titles, but just the story of uh, how the business came to life and just the pivots that took place. It's just wild, like going from a, a student magazine to a recording studio to an Atlantic, you know, inter or international airline. Like, it's just like, I love it. I absolutely love that. And I love the fact that, that he's created a brand that can just be attached to so many things. And we have uh, I think nine or 10 expressions of moniker from a brand standpoint here. And, uh, and with, you know, dozens more in my, in my dream tank, but, um, and I just think it's cool. It's just kind of fun. Yeah. 
I'm gonna go check those out. Yeah. All right, so I want to ask you some questions from just a business standpoint because yeah. pretty interesting what you what you created. So, the first question I want to talk about is like how how do you go? There's a little bit of the how, right? Um, that I think people really enjoy. You know, because you talked a little bit about you got the first one here in East Village, which by the way, I live in East Village. I want to talk to you about that space offline. <laughs> um, but concept, like going from concept to profit. Can you talk about how, what that looked like? You had the idea and then you made it profitable. Like I want to talk about this in stages, but let's start there from like how you went from concept to, to really making profit early on. Um, do I have to have, have I, did I have to make profit? <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe like, I mean, but, but how did you begin to actually build a business out of this? Like where, yeah. where to go from concept to profit? Well, you know, I, I say that it took about, 25% hard work, 50% faith and 25% pure ignorance. That's gotten us to where we are. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we've done that we didn't know any better. Um, and I think, you know, believing in what we think we could do is really what had pushed us through to be able to create businesses that are still around. Um, you know, we have so many different businesses that really it's hard to say like the answer that in one way, like, I'll be honest, like running event venues and making profit on like wedding venues is easy. Like it's, we've done very well. It's high margin, really busy. You know, we've created a great palette, but for people want, but it's for us there, it's really more about um, just creating a great space and then kind of like letting people do with it what they please. On the other side to become profitable, like on the food and beverage side with like coffee has been just hard. Um, we, kind of approached initially, I think the mentality of like, if we make more money, we'll make more money. Um, and we realized that just because we're good builders we're not good, doesn't mean we're gonna be good operators. And so being good builders for us is natural, um, creating spaces for people, starting new things, like that just is what we do. But being able to manage a company well, so that it actually is financially successful is not natural for us. And so it's taken a lot of time and energy for us to actually and intention to become financially successful on the bottom line with some of the companies. And that's involved a lot of research, a lot of work, um, some different programs that we might use to manage staffing or manage cost of goods or, um, and just trial and error. And like, how do we get this down? And, and being, being willing to like care about 1% here and 1% there, you know, like 1% less on the cost of goods or, you know, 2% less on the staff costs and, so it's really for us to become sustainable as a business has really been about going against what we're naturally inclined to do and spending time figuring out how to be successful um, in managing our expenses, which is really the operational side. Um, and that's been wildly like a game changer for us. Um, so, and, and that's not something that we've arrived at by any means. Like we are still digging in. We're, we're uh, in the process of implementing some new frameworks for our, our like operational. Um, we're, there's a book called Traction and they present a, an entrepreneurial operating system in EOS. And uh, we're gonna be implementing that across all eight of our businesses, um, starting with our parent company, Monica Group, and then working our way through. And that's gonna start to build more structure into how we're managing our one, three, 10 year goals, our 
you know, issues and rocks and things that keep us from being successful or help us to be successful. So, um, you know, in the very beginning, it's honestly the way that we made it work is just a crap ton of hustle, like just grinding and figuring it out and putting my personal paychecks into the company to, from my other business that I was working at while running Moniker and to make it, keep it going. And it was just a, it was a total hustle. And then as we've crossed and grown, crossed over into like a more mature state as a business, now that we're going on 11 years, it's really been about refinement and kind of maturing the way that we manage our businesses versus just like, let's keep hustling for more business or more clients or more customers. Um, so that really hasn't been anything specific. It's kind of a generic answer, but it's it, trying to encompass all the different businesses that we do. Um, it's kind of, that's kind of the broad uh, well, no, I think that's really interesting. Like, you know, a dreamer, a creator, like you guys are creating, you're spending all this money, you're doing all this thing. And like, then you got to start worrying about profit, <laughs> you know, like, oh no, we actually need to be profitable. So how important is cash flow in terms, I mean, that, that you focus on or you look at from a CEO standpoint? I always like to ask this question, like how important is cash flow for you? Yeah. So we don't have a CFO. So I, I fill that role. We have, um, you know, office manager that does like all our bookkeeping stuff. And then we have a financial analyst that provides a lot of like the more um, like data and stuff that we need to make decisions. Uh, I would say cash flow is the only thing that is completely required of me to keep the company going in the sense of like everything else I do, the company could, could, could function without me. But I manage cash flow and making sure that businesses have what they need to keep going. Like that's the most vital thing that I do. I, I mean, it's I, you know, long-term on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Setting vision and, and leading our company and stuff is, is obviously like my top priority, but day-to-day -day, um, cash flow is king. And so I have, you know, we have eight entities. So I have eight entities worth of cash flow to manage. There's some, there's pretty significant uh, revenue that gets passed through different companies, depending on the structure of those businesses or depending on how they support each other. But they also all have completely different um, revenue streams. Some are, you know, seasonal, more seasonal others. Some are more like weekends are better than not. And, you know, like there's all these, every, the dynamic, it's nothing's consistent. So at any point, you know, it's like having a bunch of kids, like it's like one is always going to be needy. Like I just, there's always at least one that's needy um, when it comes to capital. So I probably am better at it than I would ever, than I, than I know. Um, I think if, if I saw, you know, a simple cash flow model for a business, it would probably surprise me about how complex ours is, but at the same time, I've been doing it for so long. It's just kind of, it's what I do. So yeah, it's a beast. It's, it's, it's uh, creative cash flow is the reason why we still exist today. Yeah, I love that, man. That's huge. Cash flow is king. We talk about that a lot, being in real estate. So a couple couple questions here as we get close to the end. You, you're on, on your site, your your motto or your manifesto, You in, it's really amazing. I, I love reading it. I actually read it several times before our interview just because it's inspiring. But you end with to dream a better world and then to build it. Kind of feels like that's what you're, it encapsulate, encapsulates the, 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 the manifesto itself. So my question around is like, what do you dream for San Diego, man? What is your dream? I mean, you said you got, you know, a dream bucket that our dream file that you're, you can't bring out yet. But as you look at the landscape of San Diego, like what is your, your, your dream for this place, man? Yeah. 
it's interesting that last line of that manifesto is something that we actually just ad have adapted into our new overall mission statement for the company. Um, it hasn't been like formalized yet, but uh, we kind of tweaked it a little bit. We added the word responsibility, like this idea of this responsibility to go and build it. It's like, you, it's one thing to just have ideas, but the responsibility gives you ownership to actually create those things that you have um, and understanding like that what it is that you create has an influence and impact on the world around you so that i love man um, like if we can do it then we have the responsibility yeah. the obligation exactly to do it, right absolutely so, i love that and uh so i just presented that to the team actually a couple of weeks ago and we'll be kind of using that as a guiding uh post towards you know all the other stuff that we're kind of working on with our 10 year and stuff but you know my dream for san diego um is really similar to really my dream for really anyone. It's like, I want to see it become the best version of itself. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see San Diego become the next whatever, right? The next Austin or the next San Jose or the next San Francisco or whatever. I just want to see it become a fullest version of what San Diego's intended to be. And I think, you know, we're the eighth largest city in America. We're not irrelevant, but we're super approachable. Um, I think that's what makes this place special um is that you get that element of like big city but you get the culture of a small town and it has in my opinion has a very open ecosystem as far as like people being willing to support each other to be successful and i, I think i would love to just continue to facilitate that i'd love to be known as a company or a person that is out there trying to help others be successful even if it like would like threaten like our business you know it's like uh being able to cheer people on because I know, if, you know, one of our kind of biggest models is a rising tide lifts all ships. And so we would prefer to be part of rising the tide in our city and watching everybody become elevated than just try to promote ourselves um, above everybody else. So, um, you know, I think, I think I've seen a lot of what I, I love to, to see in San Diego over the last like 10 years. I love you know, the creativity of the culinary space and the coffee shops that we now have. I love, um, you know, the architecture and the, and the creative mornings, just watching that take off and hundreds of people come every month to, to be a part and be connected. You know, um, there's more like cool event venues. There's like, there's a lot of really cool, like physical spaces that have come to life and really a city, so much of a city is, is a physical environment. And so I think I'm, I'm seeing that. And I, I think it's just a matter of continuing to add to that in the best way that we know how. Um, so that's, that's a big piece of it, like the kind of the physical interaction with it. And I think that's where like the real estate and, and placemaking really comes into play. Um, and then the other part is just the health of the individuals that are part of our city. Um, you know, we have uh, most of our influence is on people that work for our company. So we, we really spend a lot of time figuring out how we invest and develop those individuals for as long as we have them, six months or 30 years. Like we feel like we have that responsibility to uh, help them grow closer to who they were created to be. But then also outside the walls of our company, right? How are we, um, how are we impacting and influencing those individuals? Um, you know, creating spaces for them to come together is a big part of that, but is there more that we can do? Um, so, you know, that, that's, I just would, I just love to see it be the healthiest version of itself, I think is, is really what it comes down to. And I think you could probably a lot of different opinions of what that looks like, but, but for me, it's about great places and healthy individuals um, that fill them and uh, a lot of cool creative fruit would come out of that type of environment. Yeah, I think it's a great explanation.
of San Diego. Ryan, to wrap it up, you're in the hospitality, you're in the retail, you're in the restaurant business. We're in the midst of probably the hardest, you know, time for all three of those industries. Not to dig the knife too deep because I know you're you're just really trying to lead your team through this. But I'm curious to think like for you to, you know, where do you what are you preparing for? Where do you see things heading, folks who are in this space or investors in this space? I don't know, like what are the opportunities that will come out of this and how fast will we go back to normal? That you know, how like what are you seeing? Are you seeing people really flood back to these things? What will be the next opportunity? How much of this landscape will change across retail, hospitality, you know? restaurants for example um and how much will be different and what does that opportunity look like yeah so um try to remember all the different thoughts that just popped in my head we you know our uh, last march was like the the shutdown right and we went from everything was just humming to just vacant basically i mean we kept our coffee bar open with a couple of people just serving coffees to go for you know 20 or 30 people that would come through in a day versus the 350 customers a day that we do now. Um, but when we um, started seeing things reopen, and, and I think the biggest example is like, if you look at just our coffee sales, our best month ever was February of 2020, right before things shut down. Um, our, that was until October of 2020 when things reopened for like a month. We had that like month period where stuff was open and we just got just annihilated with customers. It was awesome. And everything got shut down again. But I think that's a really like a interesting little case study. Um, but you know, just in the, like, hey, go out and be in the community, go out and be connected, and people just flock to it. Um, and we've seen that again since we've been reopening here in San Diego and California more gradually. We've we've seen like a pretty steady week over week. And honestly, our coffee shop and retail store, we just had our best. Uh, off holiday retail month ever in five years. Um, our coffee shop was just slammed. We just upgraded from a two head to a three head espresso machine because we can't keep up with the line. I was just there. It's Wednesday, you know, 10 o'clock and I was just over there and there was a line at the door. Um, and so what I'm seeing is that people want to be connected and they want to be together. They want to be out. They want to be around others and i i'm not surprised at all because i believe that's who we were created to be like we were created to be in community with one another like that was like genesis like adam was alone like and god was like man i need to make someone for him because he's just not at his best without somebody else so like from the very beginning of time like we were intended to be together and so i think the value for creating space for people to be together is higher than ever it has been um, I think that we're going to see an influx of individuals that took for granted everything that they had and had access to. And I think that the level of appreciation and value will increase. Um, I also think that they might be more selective in where they're because of the, you, when you become more aware of, of what you have, you typically use it differently, right? You don't take it for granted. So I would argue that the, there's potential for experiences that um that people are looking for experiences that they might not have had prior so they might be looking for um you know something that's a little bit more um I don't know, a little more fun or a little more creative or a little more like just versus just like oh i'm gonna like we're free i'm just gonna run down to you know starbucks you know i mean so 
no, I want to go to the place where everybody's like really gathering, everyone's like feeling connected where there's, it feels like that. So, you know, I, I think we were already seeing an interesting shift in, in the retail side before this, you know, there's uh, Seth Godin says there's a, a race to the top and a race to the bottom. Um, and the race to the bottom is cheaper, quicker, like easier, right? So that's Amazon, that's Target, that's Walmart. The race to the top is art. It's an experience. It's something that you're going to remember beyond the product that you buy. The middle is what's dead and dying. That's JCPenney and, you know, Sears and like all these guys, sports authority that just, you could like, they're not giving me an experience that I want to go to and I can get all that stuff delivered to my doorstep for half the price. So I think we were already seeing that shift and I would imagine this would perpetuate that, you know, um, so wow. we've always- that's, that's a great example of the, the, top, the, the top, the bottom and the middle and what we see going out of business more and more that's really yeah. that's really insightful yeah so that's we land in the in the world of, of what we would consider art and experience mm -hmm. and so that's we feel good and, and excited about what we're creating and the intentionality behind it and how people will gravitate have gravitated towards it and will continue to gravitate towards it as we go forward man i love that dude let's do an event soon man we we were talking kind of beforehand let's we we i, I really want to bring our community man to this great city and experience we put together. So let's keep talking about that. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. We got, we got plenty of places to do it. Ryan, I've loved this, man. Thanks for making the time. Anything else you would add before we get out of here? Mm, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've struggled a lot through this last year. I'm a dreamer, right? I like to, I like to, to think about what could be and, and pursue what's ahead. And for most of what the last 12, 13 months has held, it, it's just felt like this um, anchor on my dreams, right? This idea of like holding me back and keeping me from all the stuff that I wanted to do. And I think it was probably about a month ago, I just felt like God just like spoken to my, my life and said, all those dreams you had are only possible by what you've gone through in the last year. Like where you've been and what you've done and what you've accomplished or like overcome is a requirement for what I have for you next. And so it kind of changed the narrative for me of like this kind of victim element of like this screwed up so much stuff to, wow, I'm so glad that we went through it because I needed that to be able to go over what's next. And just felt like it's been really encouraging to me and I just felt like it's been giving me a lot of permission to, to view what, what we've gone through differently. Um, and then be excited because I, I know, you know, our, our saying inside the office is never waste a good crisis. But uh, I know from a faith perspective, God rarely ever wastes a good crisis with an individual that is willing to embrace it and continue to kind of lay out step at his feet. So I'm looking forward to what he has in store. And I just feel like that's been a really just powerful kind of word in my life over the last couple of months. Don't waste a good crisis. Man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Ryan, moniker, uh, monikergroup.com, M-O-N-I-K-E-R, group.com is where people can go to, to learn about more about Moniker. Come check out the spaces if they come to San Diego. Um, you know, how can people, if they want to follow you or get, you know, look, look to, I don't know, maybe even tell your story a little bit more, how can they get in touch with you? Yes, totally. So, you know, Instagram, I think we have like 12 Instagram accounts. So just type in moniker and just pick one if you're interested in following something. Uh, you know, the website's kids got us info and then you can reach me via email, just ryan at monikergroup.com. I'm uh, the best way to get a hold of me and happy to 
just go back and forth on anything that anyone want to just chat through. So awesome. appreciate it. Awesome, man. Love to have you, brother. We'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the kingdom rei.com to learn about our mastermind if you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes then head to ellishammond.com to learn more about that cheers